prepared for us. Lord, we ask your anointing on Jackie, Lord, that you would just uh, uh, pour your spirit, Lord, uh, that you give him lips to speak. Lord, uh, Lord we want to hear you. We want to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. We find ourselves coming to the beginning of the reign of a young man named Solomon. And uh, last time we were together, we, we uh, read about the, the death of David and the final words that he had to his son. And remember, those final words that he had to his sons were words from a father who had been to the school of hard knocks to a son who grew up in the palace. And uh, never really had to go through some of the difficult things that David had to go through. And so he's warning them about some very specific people that are part of the kingdom to keep his eye on them. Uh, his brother, we know we need to watch out for. Joab, who really in secret was there to be alongside the king and the king's right hand man. But in reality, Joab always wanted to be the king. And so he's involved in a rebellion. Abiathar, who was a priest, who, who uh, because the tabernacle was placed in two different places, David, remember, had the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem, and the, the tabernacle, we'll see today, um, were two different places. They had two different priests. One priest was at one, the other priest at the other. And Zadok was getting more favor than Abiathar, so Abiathar was involved in a rebellion against Solomon. Uh, David, recognizing this, he also adds another name to the list, Shimei. Shimei is the man who cursed David when David was down. And as he did that, David's warning to his son is a warning that says, we don't know if these guys' heart's bad, or they made bad choices. So you need to watch them. And the, the choices that they continue to make will tell you. Is the issue a heart issue? Is the issue uh, just a mistake? Or did they just make a bad choice? So we're going to see Solomon in, uh, in his wisdom prior to the gift that God gives him. We're going to see Solomon make some pretty wise choices in regard to these guys. And... For each and every one of them, he's going to hand them their rope. And he's going to tell them what we talked about last week. The same thing God tells us. There are two paths laid out before you. One path leads to fruitfulness. The other path leads to death. One life, one death. You choose. 
And those same choices have been laid out for Joab, Abiathar, Shimei, and uh, Abinadab. We're going to see them each have the, the opportunity to make their own choice. What are you going to do? What way are you going to go? So David warned his son about this. And the same is, is true for us in, in our lives. When uh, Kathy and I had just been married a few years, we had a rough marriage for the first five years. I was uh, not a very nice person. And so our marriage, it, there was not, nobody who gave our marriage a shot. I don't believe that. No, not a person. Not even the preacher. Preacher told Kathy, run. Get away from him. He'll never change. The counselor said the same thing. He's never going to change. He's always going to be who he is now. Uh, I'm thankful that they were wrong, but they're not wrong because of me. They're wrong because of the power of Christ to give a new life to a, a, a bad apple. And, uh, you know, as I look at that, I remember, Kathy, I'm, I'm reminded, because for the first probably five or six years after that, um, every time Kathy and I would get in a fight, she would bring up past failures, past issues that, that, that I, where I had failed or where I had messed up. And she would bring those up, and, and I always thought it was an effort of her to say, I, know, I just know, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop when you're really going to show who you are. So you're just going to do it again, and I'm preparing for you to do it again. So she would do everything she could to push to push me out, to give me that, uh, you know, the door's open, you can leave anytime, kind of a deal. And I would tell her over and over again when we were going through that time, I'm not going anywhere. I push all you want. I'm staying. And uh, one day, the Lord gave Kathy a vision. And he showed her two paths. And one path was dark and dreary and labeled right. And the other path was full of life and light. And it was labeled forgiveness. And God said, which do you want to be? Right? Or do you want to walk in forgiveness? You can be right. And alone. And on the wrong path. Or you can choose to forgive. And watch what I can do with your lives. And I'm thankful that Kathy chose to, to forgive. And, and here we are 26 years later. And our kids are all grown and married. And, and it's not over yet. But I, I think we're out of the woods. At least those woods. So thankful for those things. And we see the exact same thing happening in, in chapter 2 of 1 Kings. With these, these different characters in the story of Solomon. And don't lose sight. Solomon's a young kid. Some estimates as young as 12. So here he is, thrust into a position of leadership. His dad dies. His dad says, you got to watch out for these guys, son. It's time to grow up. It's time to be ready to, to take the reins. A rebellion has already been squashed. And the players of that rebellion are known. And then David gives his final words to his son. And we saw last time that, that uh, David died. In verse 12, of chapter 2 it says, And Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. So Solomon is on the throne. Verse 13, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. And why is she asking that? Remember, 
Adonijah, Adonijah was a guy who just started a rebellion, tried to become king. It's also Solomon's brother. And so it's, he's part of the family. And Bathsheba, she sees him coming, she wants to know, are, are you coming peaceably? Or are you coming scheming? And he lies. He says, I'm, I'm coming to peace, man. I just want to make a simple request. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, go ahead and say it. And he said, you know that the kingdom was mine. And all Israel has set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's. For it is his from the Lord. So I just ask one thing of you, one petition. Please do not deny me. And she said, say it. And he said, please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as wife. So Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. So Donajab comes and he, he, wants, to, he wants to ask for Abishag. I told you Abishag was coming back up. Abishag was David's last concubine. Her job in David's life was simply to take care of him while he was dying. There was no sexual relationship, no weird stuff. She was basically his nurse while David was dying. And she was by his side until he died. But remember I told you, all of the king's concubines, everything that he possessed, passed to the next king. And it was his responsibility... To, to govern or to take care of them. They were Solomon's responsibility to care for. Now as uh, this request is coming up, and as we see uh, Adonijah coming, Adonijah coming and saying, hey, what's, what's going on? I'd like to have Abishag. As he's got this concept or this idea, it sounds to our Western ears like, what's the big deal? Abishag, she's not, Solomon doesn't want her, she's not Solomon's wife. But in the Eastern mindset, if Solomon grants this request, he loses all face with the nation. Because the king's responsibility is to take care of what was given to him. If he passes off or shirks that responsibility onto his brother, he's going to lose face with the people. Behind the scenes, what Adonijah is thinking is, I'm going to erode some of Solomon's popularity. I'm going to, I'm going to ask him in a nice way, try to trick him into making this request to me. It's going to make him look like a fool to the people. He'll lose the popularity and then I can attempt again a coup or an attempt to take the kingdom. Do not think Adonijah is some innocent guy who just wants a wife now. He has already tried to take the kingdom once. And his brother said to him, when he was holding on to the horns of the altar, remember he ran to the altar and said, I don't want Solomon to kill me. And Solomon said, if you do well, what? You live. If you do wickedly, you'll die. It's the same phrase that God told the children of Israel as they came through the Exodus. There are two paths to take. Life and death. And God said, choose life. So Adonijah has the exact same opportunity, but he chooses to try to be conniving. 
to try to get over his brother, to try to continue in an attitude of rebellion. Now, we don't know whether Bathsheba understands that or not. It's hard to believe Bathsheba being the queen doesn't understand what's going on. So the fact that she brings this to Solomon, she uh, obviously knows that Solomon is going to understand what Adonijah is asking for. And Adonijah puts a request out. Bathsheba goes to her son. Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her. Sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. One of the neat things here is we see Solomon still honoring his parents. Sometimes I think we lose sight. We think honor our parents has some kind of term limit. So let's settle that. No term limit on honoring your parents. If you still have parents, God expects you to honor them. Period. To, to give them the respect they're due, no matter what your office. Solomon's king and he bows to his mom. He bows to his mother. He pays her respect. She said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said, ask my mother, for I will not refuse you. So she said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, his wife. And Solomon answered and said to his mom, why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Why don't you ask for him the kingdom also? See, Solomon knows what he's doing. He's, a, he's trying to erode my position as king. He's, he's still trying to rebel. I let him live. I gave to him a choice. Live righteously and, and live the rest of your life out, brother. Or be wicked and don't. And he's made his choice. For he is my older brother. For him and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zariah. Those are the three guys involved in what? In the rebellion. Abiathar, Joab, and Adonijah. So Solomon is saying, hey, they're at it again. They're, they're at, it's sneakier. It's not so out in the open. But it, they're at it again. They're bringing rebellion. So King Solomon swore by the Lord. May God do so to, to me and more also if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has established a house for me as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benai, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. So, remember, David said, these three guys you got to watch out for. Guy number one just made his choice. Life or death. This is not Solomon being cruel or mean. Life or death. Live, choose well, and live. Choose not so well, and it's over. And King Solomon was quick. He was quick to say, you know, the scripture tells us, the scripture tells us that we ought to have, that we need to have a gift of discernment. Understanding who's really looking for help, needs help, wants help, or who's trying to rip off. 
The scripture tells us that we're to have the ability to judge a fruitfulness in someone who calls himself a brother, whether they're a brother or not. They tell us, scripture tells us to watch out for false teachers. Scripture tells us to watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing, right? We're to have eyes to say what's really going on. And so here, how is it that Solomon was able to see that Adonijah had a heart that was against him? He looked at the choices that he made. And the choices that he made were consistently rebellion against God. Moses, when the people rebelled against him, Moses went to the Lord and said, Lord, Lord, uh, the people, they hate me. That's a Jackie paraphrase. And the Lord said to Moses, Moses, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. You are my anointed. You're the one I've chosen for this area, for this place to lead. And so those who have come against you are not coming against you. They're coming against me. You remember when we were studying through the book of Acts on Sunday morning, and we're going to come to this story eventually, but, but we come to a period of time when the, when the disciples con, consistently are being brought before the Sanhedrin. And they're being beaten. And one of the, the leaders or teachers within the Sanhedrin, a guy who actually is, is one who was uh, instrumental in teaching Paul, he, he gave him a word of warning. The word of warning was, better be careful what you're doing. That you don't find yourself fighting against God. Know what's going on. Stand back and test the fruit. John would tell us, test the spirits. See what's going on. So, that's what Solomon does. Test the spirits with Adonijah. He tests the, the fruit of the man. The fruit of the man is wicked. The, the Lord says, good fruit doesn't come from a bad tree. Bad fruit doesn't come from a good tree. If it's bad fruit, it's bad roots. If it's good fruit, it's good roots. Doesn't matter how the tree looks. And so Solomon takes takes that to heart sometimes you have got to cut a man loose sometimes you want that man to walk right more than that man wants to walk right and you got to cut him loose i remember when i was doing youth ministry years ago and i had this young kid and i had this kid with me since he was like in third grade I, I taught Sunday school on, on Wednesday nights. I taught youth group. I've had this kid since he was little. He'd spent the night at my house, play with my kids. But in high school, he was making some very dumb choices. And uh, over and over again, he was getting busted. He's getting busted at church. He got busted at church before selling dope. Trying to sell dope to a kid in the bathroom at church. I mean, you're out there. You're out there a ways. And so I sit down and talk with him and, you know, it's, what are you doing, brother? You know what's right, what you need to do. Pastor Gerald called me into his office and he said, Jackie, sometimes you've got to cut a kid loose. That kid's not okay. He's a wolf. Cut him loose. 
Paul would write to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that a man who calls himself a brother and continues to live in sin without a desire of repentance or change, the Bible says, don't have anything to do with him. And I've had those conversations. I had that conversation with a 15-year-old boy. It's harsh. But sometimes you've got to cut a man loose. Paul says, set him loose into the world for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved. There's a responsibility within us. There is a time to cut a man loose. In the Old Testament, they did it permanently. And that's what happens with Adonijah. Adonijah is permanently cut loose. But then Solomon's got a problem, right? He's got a high priest. High priest. Well, look what scripture tells us about that. And so Abiathar the priest, uh, and to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death, but I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from Uh, from being priest before the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. When the tabernacle was at Shiloh, remember the house of Eli was evil. The kids were bad seeds. They were ripping people off. They were false priesthood. They were supposed to be people leading others to the Lord. They're taking advantage of the Lord. And God brought judgment upon the family of Eli. And he said... There will cease to be anyone from the family of Eli who stands as priest before me. The last one was Abiathar. Once he is removed from the line of Aaron, the priesthood all goes through Zadok. Zadok will become the high priest, and that's the lineage through which the high priest will always be. From the line of Aaron all the way through until Rome takes over and, and mucks the whole system up. Now that the, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, there's no record. So they can't find a priest. They think that the name Kohen was, is associated with the priesthood, but there's no way to check the genealogies. You can't go back. The genealogies were all in the temple. The temple was destroyed. All the genealogies are lost post Christ, why? why, why, because he is our high priest. You don't need another one. The book of Hebrews declares he is our high priest forever. Jesus Christ takes that role. So here we see Abiathar removed. Now, Solomon doesn't put him to death. He says, listen, I'm not, you're deserving of death. What you did, your rebellion, the, the seed of bitterness has been in your heart. He puts him in exile, sends him to his own estate where he can live out the rest of his days in relative comfort and not be able to bring about any rebellions. But he says for a couple of reasons, because you carried the ark. So at one time you were God's anointed. And second, every time my dad was in a cave or going through a hard time, you were there for him. So he honored that. Abiathar keeps his life, but loses his position and is removed from the court. So Abiathar, the second of the three guys that were guilty 
of uh, rebellion is removed. So Solomon removed him. Then news came to Joab. For Joab had had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. So all of a sudden, Joab gets religious. We don't really see Joab at the altar any other time. But now he knows, I am in trouble. So he runs down to the altar and he grabs a hold of the altar. Now that's exactly what Adonijah had done. And he received mercy. Now maybe Joab thinks he's going to receive mercy. Um, I don't know. But that's what he does. He runs down and he lays hold of the horns of the altar. Remember the altar was like a, a square pit barbecue. The horns are simply the wrought iron that came up that they tied the sacrifice to. They're just a curved uh, piece of, of wrought iron that came up in each of the four corners. And those are the four horns of the altar. So he runs and he, and he lays hand uh, upon the altar. So the scripture goes on and says, King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. And there he is by the altar. And Solomon said to Benai, the son of Jehoiada, go strike him down. So Benai went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, thus says the king, come out. And he said, no, I will die here. So Benai brought back word to the king saying, thus said Joab. And thus he answered me. And the king said to him, do as he has said. Strike him down and bury him. That you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head. Because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he. He killed them with the sword. Abner the son of Ner, the commander of Israel. And Amasa the son of Jethir, the commander of the army of Judah. Though my father David did not know it. What he's saying is David didn't order it. David made peace, remember, in those two wars. And he lifted up the commanders of those two rebellions to to unite the people. And Joab didn't like what David said. Joab wanted to be in charge. Joab's struggle his whole life was a struggle of being submitted to the Lord's anointed. Can I be submitted to the Lord's anointed? If David said, go to the right, Joab was questioning. If David said, we're going to go do this, and maybe David was dead wrong. But over and over again in scripture, what do you see? Joab banging heads with David. Was that Joab's place? Joab's place was to support him. To lead his army. Who did God speak to? Did God speak to Joab? Or did God speak to David? He spoke to David. He spoke to David. We, we see the same things occurring within the, the body of, of Christ today in a variety of different ways. And often we have to ask ourselves, who am I going to be? In the Bible, in David's life, I see two guys that really leap out at me that had this uh, neat influence, if you will, in the life of David. They are Jonathan and Joab, two J's. Two guys who were amazing warriors. One guy has the right to claim the king. Jonathan was the son of Saul. He has the right to fight. What did he say? He said, later on, when when, when this is all over, David, you be king 
and I'll be your second. Uh, that's a man submitted to the king, right? Submitted to the Lord's anointed in that situation, willing to follow him, willing to see those things come to fruition. Joab, on the other hand, David says, listen, I want to raise up Amasa, who was in rebellion against us a little while ago, but I want to raise him up. And Joab killed him. Before that, David said, I, I want to raise up Abner. Abner's going to be my guy. I'm going to make him general over my army. And, and Joab killed him. Before that, or, or after all of that, Jonathan, recognizing the sinful state of his son, said, please don't kill my son. What did Joab do? Killed his son. He did what was right in his own eyes. And he wasn't able to be submitted to the Lord. And the Bible says, as a result of all those murders, a murderer who goes free, that blood stains the land, God says. It stains the land. The land is poisoned by that blood. And the blood of the innocent cry out to me. I wonder what he hears from our nation. Can you imagine how many... Guilty people go free. The blood of the innocent, the lives that have been taken. God said there, there's a, a price for that. There's a poison that settles on the land. There's a poison in the morality of the land. Don't we see that in our own nation? The, a poison in our, in our morality, the things that we say is okay, the things that we think are good. That, are, that bring life, and so it poisons the land. Here, Solomon says that that same poison was on the land of Israel. And he said, kill him. So Benai goes to the altar, kills him at the altar. And his blood, Joab's blood, Solomon says, is on his own head. He made his choices. He had opportunity laid out before him. Life and death. And he chose his way. The, the David or Solomon would go on and write in the Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man. But what's he tell us about that way? The end that leads to death. What, what is the way that seems right? That's my way. But the attitude of submission to God doesn't always lead the way we think it's going to lead. doesn't always go the way we think it's going to go. And so... Joab always did battle against uh, David, and here he's doing battle against Solomon, and it's going to cost him his life. So, it says in verse 33, Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and the head of his descendants forever, but upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there will be peace forever from the Lord. So Benai, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And the king put Benai, the son of Jehoiada, in the place over the army, and he put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. So there's the three of those guys dealt with, right? We got uh, um, Adonijah, rebelled, chose death, he dies. Abiathar is exiled, taken out. Joab is stopped 
to be able to have any more rebellion. There's still one more guy. Remember the fourth guy David talked to him about? He talked to him about Shimei, right? The guy who was emboldened to curse David when David was at a low point in his life. And David says, I don't know if that's his heart or if he's just making a bad decision. Better watch him. You better watch him. He bears special scrutiny. So, we come to that in verse 36. The king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there. And do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook brook Kidron. Know for certain that you will surely die and your blood will be on your own head. Two paths before you, Shimei. Because of what you've done, I'm going to set up for you the same rules that we have in, in the city of refuge. In a city of refuge, if someone was guilty of, of doing something by which they caused manslaughter, somebody died, but it was not intentional, they could run to a city of refuge. And as long as they lived within the city of refuge, they could live the rest of their lives out, and everything would be fine. But if they left the city of refuge, the avenger of blood could find them. Now when you think about this, I also want you to realize there's no police in Israel. You know that, right? Somebody's not calling 911 to get the cops. It was all familial. That means it was all worked out within the family. The oldest of the family was the avenger of blood. If someone killed their brother, they were the ones to seek justice. So they would do the investigation, find out who was guilty, bring them before the king, and so on and so forth. It was accidental. He would run to the city of refuge. And in the city of refuge, he would find a fresh start. That city of refuge becomes a picture of Jesus Christ for each of us. He's our city of refuge. We flee to him. And in him, we can live out our lives before Christ in a relationship with the Father. But outside of him, there is no life. So the same way, the same deal happens with Shimei. Shimei, here's what's going on. Shimei, here's, what's, here's what I see. Here's what's happening. Here's what you need to do. And so Shimei, here's the word, said to the king, The saying is good. As my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how long he stayed. Maybe it was, maybe it was years, maybe it was months, maybe it was weeks. We don't know, but it says... Uh, He's going to lay out for us in verse 39. At the end of three years, two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Maacah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath, and had come back. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, No, for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you will surely die? And you said to me, The word I said was good? Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? And the king said, Moreover to Shimei, You know, as your heart acknowledges, all the wickedness that you did to my father David, Therefore the Lord will return the wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed in the throne of David, established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benai, the son of Jehoiada. He went down and struck him down 
and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So all four guys die. Shimei, stay here and live. Um, he doesn't value the commandment of the king. And so he dies. The same way that people make choices today in regard to life or death. Isn't it? I got people who come in every week. Ground up by one addiction or another. Needing help. Needing a hand. Needing deliverance. Ultimately needing Jesus Christ. And every time. Almost. They will continue to choose their drug and addiction over freedom. Almost every time. There are two paths laid out before them. One leads to life. One leads to death. There are two paths laid out before us. It's no different. The path leading to Jesus Christ is a path of life. Any other path is a path of death. Period. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there are who find it. But narrow is the path that leads to everlasting life. And few there are who find that. The choice to follow what God's word lays out. To me, it seems like an easy deal. Shimei, you can live as long as you want to live right here under the king's command. Nope. Nope. Then you're going to die. The choice was just that simple for him. So each of the guys who were caught up in the rebellion end up in the same place. Except for Abiathar, who is the only one who is going to live out his days in exile. And when we come to chapter 3, chapter 3 is a, is a, a special chapter where we see Solomon make some amazing choices. In chapter 3 it says, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh king of Egypt and married Pharaoh's daughter. And he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. So just as was the, the culture in that day in order to make peace, uh, between nations, what they do? They married. They married. That's how it all begins for Solomon. Right there. Now I don't know at this point that Solomon is, is gone too far out on a limb yet. But the Lord gives three commands to every king. And Solomon is going to break all three. The three commands that God gives is not... To multiply gold for yourself. Why? Because if you heap up gold for yourself, where's your trust? Man, your gold. Right? Think about it. Think about how many people have a big old fat nest egg in the bank. And they're secure in their finances. You tell me where their hope is. Is there hope in the Lord? Well, maybe. I'm not saying nobody can have that. But boy, it's awful easy to just know I'm secure in my nest egg. How many people do you know who were pretty secure in their nest egg one day and the next morning woke up and had no security anymore? 
Because nest egg was gone. The Lord says, don't multiply gold for yourself. Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moths don't, don't uh, corrupt, where it doesn't rust, where thieves don't break in and steal. Why? Because where your treasure is, what's he say? That's where your heart is. That's where your heart is. And we all struggle with that. We live in America. Don't tell me you don't struggle with that. That's bunk. We got more stuff than anybody on the face of the earth. We got too much stuff. We all struggle with that. I, uh, I watched a movie this last week, and it was, uh, was a, I was curious about it. I'm not going to tell you what it was because I don't want you to go watch it. But... <laughs> But I was, I was very uh, intrigued by the title. It was a, uh, about a believer and, uh, um, and a, an outreach uh, in Africa. And at one point in the story, this particular believer, his, his work is currently still, and in the movie was in uh, Sudan. And we're familiar with the Sudan. We had the guys from Far Reaching Ministries come and the chaplains who who are a part of the, the Sudanese uh, uh, freedom fighters who try to protect the people from uh, the places like the LRA, which is the Lord's Resistance Army, uh, which is Joseph Kony. If you haven't heard of Joseph Kony, you probably need to get informed. Uh, he's guilty of 400,000 murders and 40,000 child abductions. And he is still around and busy in... Uh, southern Sudan and northern Uganda. And so this is in the war-torn area of the Sudan. We all know the stories. The, 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 the Muslims are, are slaughtering the, the Christians. You know, I don't know that it's really about religion at all. It's just like any of the dumb wars where the people are, are killing each other. You know, I don't, I don't know that it has anything to do. I, I think it's a spiritual battle, sure, you know, but to say everyone in South Sudan is a Christian and everyone who's killing them is a Muslim, I'm not sure that's accurate. But these are bad people. And this guy goes there and he's helping to build some buildings and he, and he sees some pretty atrocious things happen. So he decides to build an orphanage right in the middle of the Sudan. And he does it. That orphanage is still there today. As far as I know, it's the only orphanage in the Sudan for the kids whose parents have been killed and who... Uh, the Lord's Resistance Army or Joseph Kony tried to take. And he's struggling because he's got a, a job in the States and he's going back there and, he, and he's battling within himself, dealing with issues of hate and dealing with issues of, uh, that are hard for him to reconcile for himself and what he sees happening over there and what he's trying to do. And when he comes back to the States, he's asking for help and he's going around and saying, man, if I could just get... Uh, about five thousand dollars i could i could really do some neat stuff at that orphanage i could go on that orphanage put a playground for the kids and and keep them safe make sure they got a bigger fence around them so that they keeps the the rebels from just coming through and and wiping them out and i could and i could get another truck and if i could get another truck because there are times he's just driving across the sudan he comes across 75 kids and he's got a little pickup truck and he loads up in his little pickup truck, 10 or 15. 
And by the time he comes back for the rest, they're all dead. And so he's asking for a truck and he's asking for a playground for the kids and he and he's goes you know in the in the show it shows I don't know what's real or not real but nobody'll give him anything a guy uh, he's speaking in in the film to a, a relatively wealthy person and this person's throwing a big party big barbecue and he's got booze margaritas probably a hundred people at this guy's house or more and the guy says to the to this this person he says you know uh i've heard what you said about those kids in sudan and i decided to give you something he he puts a check in his pocket and so he you know kind of so thanks so much you know and they they he wants to know you know uh, that i make the mark and the guy gave him 150 bucks. He spent more than that on the booze and the food and the barbecue and the stuff. And I don't know how all that translates. But I think there's a reckoning coming. I think there's a reckoning. How that all works, I mean, come on, I know we can't solve all the problems. I know we could send them billions of dollars and they'll still be killing each other tomorrow. I'm not saying, suggesting that that's it, but there's an issue in the heart of someone who won't support that. And these are brothers, supposedly, in Christ. He threw the $150 on the ground and he drove away. He sold everything he had and he got a playground for the kids but he couldn't get the truck. In the last scene of the movie he comes across another big bunch of kids you know, going across the Sudan with his little truck. And he picks up all the kids he can pick up and he puts them in a truck. And This time he says, you take them back. I'll stay here with the kids. And you come back for us. And the movie just ends there. And it's, as the screen's rolling, it says this person's name. And they say he's still doing it. He's still married and he's still doing the stuff he does. Hey, I'm not saying that guy's doctrine is square. I'm not saying what that guy's doing is right or wrong. What I'm saying is he's doing something he's making something happen but he is doing it I think not like Christ would do it which is why I won't tell you the name of the movie you have to figure it out yourself then I'm not the one who sent you to see it but the Bible tells us he who lives by the sword will what Die by the sword. The Spirit of God is able to do things we think we have to help in the flesh. I'm not sure we do. I'm not sure we do. 
have to come up with our own plan, our own idea. How am I going to deliver? How am I going to make this happen? This is something that these guys couldn't get across in their mind. Adonijah wanted his own plan. Joab wanted his own plan. Uh, And they wanted it their way, not God's way. They wanted it their own way. And cost them everything. When we come back to Solomon in in chapter 3, he makes a treaty. He marries this woman, which is how they would do it. And then he began down the track, just like those other guys. Amassing gold for himself. I, I have so much I can't afford to give any to anybody else. The second thing the Lord said is don't multiply horses. In those days, horses were the army. Right? You judged the might of another person's army by how many horses they had. And God said to the king, don't multiply horses. When you go to Israel, if you ever go to Israel with me, everywhere in Israel, there are stables that belong to Solomon. Everywhere you go. He had so many horses, people couldn't even count how many horses he had. He had so much gold, they stopped counting gold. Have you ever had so much money, you just stopped counting it? I mean, right now, some of us are thinking, oh, I'd like to have that problem. I'd like to experience it just once. Literally, we'll read it, we'll study it, where they just stop counting it. He's got so much, they stop counting. He's got so many horses, they can't even count the horses. The third thing God said, don't multiply wives. And God said, if you multiply wives... And the idea is just what he's doing here. The idea is making treaty after treaty after treaty with people. So you're taking wife after wife after wife. Not because you're, you want a wife, but you're making a treaty. And that was the way they did things back then. We studied history, right? It's not all that different. The king of France marry the queen of England and try to unite everything. And people stop killing each other. And it almost never works. But they still did it anyway over and over and over and over and over again. So the same way the Lord says, don't multiply wives. Because if you do, he says, they will turn your heart away from God. When we come to the end of Solomon's life, it's not going to resemble this beginning. This beginning is amazing. The end, he's just like any other disillusioned guy. Asking all the wives, what, what value is there in life? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, is what he writes in Ecclesiastes. It's all useless. He's going to despair. Why? Because he multiplied gold. He multiplied horses. And he multiplied wives. And it did what God said it would do. Where's your hope? Your hope in your gold? In your own ability, power to save yourself? You multiple relationships. Is that where your hope is? The other thing God said for the king to do is take a copy of the scriptures and make his own copy. Not buy his own copy. Make it. So they would hand him several scrolls, whatever made up the scripture, the Bible. And he copied it. And if he got a letter wrong, he threw away the whole scroll. That wasn't just the page. He threw away the whole scroll and started again. 
until it was perfect. What did that do for the king? Did it keep him focused? Did he know what God expected of him? Imagine if, if we were so attuned to the word of God, that we read the word of God so much, it was so ingrained in our life that we understood what God was looking for from us, how God wants us to treat other people. It's in here. It, and by the way, it's in the Old Testament. How God wants us to treat the alien. How God wants us to treat the people who are hurting. How God wants us to treat people who are suffering. How God wants us to reach out. God wants us to love him with all our heart and to love people the same way he does. And that's in here. They're supposed to make a copy. Well, Solomon did some of those things, but he broke all those rules. And it's going to lead him away from where he starts. And where he starts, listen, we're just going to do a couple of verses. But where he starts here, I I want you guys to see. In verse 2 it says, Meanwhile the people sacrificed at the high places, because there was no house built in the name of the Lord until those days. So, remember the tabernacles in two different places. The children of Israel are all supposed to come to one central location to worship. So that God could say, this is true worship. Let me, let me help you guys see the true worship. But when everybody's just going their own way in every di- direction, you get things that are a little out of whack. So the Lord w- wants to centralize worship. Centralize it and help the people understand what it is that he's looking for and what he wants. But in this day, there's no house. Now we know Solomon's going to build the house, right? He's going to build the temple. Scripture already said he took a wife and she was with him until he built the temple in his own house. So we know that's coming, but now he's saying, but before all that occurs, everybody was kind of doing their own thing, going to the high places, the high hills. Everybody in those days there, you go to Greece and you go to the uh, Acropolis. Every Acropolis, you know where it is? The highest point of the city. And that's where they put all their temples and they did all their worship. It's called the high places. It's a little plateau. It also was where they kept all the banks because the temples were the banks of those days. People would put their money there. So the same thing here. The people would go to the high places. The Bible doesn't condemn them. He doesn't say they were all screwed up. He just says that's how they were worshiping then. It's going to get centralized. It's not yet. And it says in verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. And God, again, wanted that central. One place so that the priest could help the people understand what it was all about. Now the king went to Gibeon. Now Gibeon is where the tabernacle was. Remember I told you, the Ark of the Covenant is in Jerusalem. The tabernacle, which is supposed to have the Ark of the Covenant inside it, is in Gibeon. He goes to Gibeon to sacrifice. For that was the great high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Any clue what that cost? A thousand burnt offerings. That's like a thousand head of cattle. And a burnt offering was utterly consumed and wholly given to God. All of it went to him as an offering of consecration. I'm wholly yours. I'm completely yours, whatever you want to do. And it says that Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? And that is a wild deal. 
Nobody has a deal like this on a page of scripture. In essence, God came to Solomon and handed him a blank check. Whatever you want. I mean, just think right now. This is like the, the, the perfect story, a true story about God coming to someone and saying, what's your one wish? I'll give it to you. What is it? Anything. I'm going to give whatever you ask. I will give. So, hey, God's not mad at Solomon here for what's going on. He understands that people are, are it's not all centralized, hasn't come together. That's going to happen. Solomon's going to accomplish that. But God's saying, man, Solomon's heart. The Bible says God loves Solomon. Solomon was much beloved of God. God had his own special pet name for Solomon, the scripture tells us. So all this stuff going on with Solomon, God says, Solomon, what do you want? Now, I don't know if Solomon's still 12 at this point, if he's 16, if he's a little bit older, but he's young. He's a young person, given the, the most powerful job at that time, and given a blank check by God. And so, Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. Remember, the Bible said David was a man, how? After God's own heart. What was that own heart about? That he was a man who walked before God in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart. His desire was to please the Lord. Did he always do it? Nope. Sometimes he messed up, right? But when he messed up, he always came to the Lord, repented, and then continued his journey. That's what it is to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Scripture says, So you have continued this great kindness for him and have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child, and I do not know how to go out or come in. What he says in our vernacular, our words today, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just a kid, and I got no clue what I'm doing, man. I'm just winging this. And I'm a little freaked out at the pressure of ruling a nation at my age and, and I'm a little freaked out about all the different choices and possibilities that are laid out before me so I don't know how to go out or come in and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted therefore give to your servant an understanding heart whoa that's an amazing thing to ask for isn't it Sometimes the heart we want is uh, different than that. I don't really want to understand. I don't really want to understand you or what you're doing. Solomon says, I want an understanding heart. I want to be able to understand. See, the first key to ruling people is learning to have compassion for the people. And you cannot have compassion without understanding. If you and I went to the Sudan, we'd be just like that dude. You looked in the eyes of those kids. I've traveled. I've been to Peru. I've been to the Amazon. I've been places where I've seen kids living on the street. I promise you. If somebody told me, you can stay here and do this work with these kids or you know, serve them in this way, what have you, I'd have done it. 
Because when you're there looking at them, there's no question in your mind, what do I, what, should I do this, shouldn't I do this? You're like, oh man, this needs done. When we're there, it's there. Why? Because we have compassion for them. Places I've never been, I, I, I can in some small way relate to what's going on because I haven't been there. I don't have the same level of compassion. So I can turn the channel, close my eyes, and it all goes away. But once you've been there, you can't do it. You close your eyes and you see their faces. You remember their stories and you wonder where they're at today. So the same way, he says, I want to have a heart of understanding. I love that, that idea. He wants to have a, a heart, an understanding heart. But what's the purpose? It's not understanding, not compassion, just to have compassion. I want to have an understanding heart to judge your people. Why? That I may discern between good and evil. I just want you to consider that. Oftentimes we say Solomon's the wisest person in the world. And I guess that's true. But what he asked for is an understanding heart to be able to discern good from evil. You think you're pretty good at that? You know my old Chinese proverb, right? Don't make me tell it again. Everybody remember the Chinese proverb? I'm going I'm to tell it. One day the farmer... Has a friend give him a gift of a horse. And all the friends come to the farmer and they say, Man, it sure is a good thing somebody gave you that horse. What a blessing. And the farmer says, Whether it's a blessing or not, we'll see. The next day, his son's out riding that horse, falls off a horse, breaks his leg. And his neighbors come up to him and they say, Yep, you know what? You're right. That horse was not any good. I understand what you meant now that we'll see whether he's a blessing or not. And the farmer said, well, whether this is a blessing or not, we'll see. Well, shortly thereafter, a guy comes through and gathers all the young men for war. And he takes them all out except for that farmer's son because he had a broken leg. And all the people of the village came and they said, you're right. We thought that broken leg was a bad thing. Turns out it's a good thing. And the farmer says, whether it's a blessing or not, we'll see. All those guys who were taken to war go out and they have this huge victory and they come home with millions of dollars, every one of them. And when they come home, all those people go to that farmer and say, yeah, you know, it turns out that wasn't such a good thing or something busted his leg. Because my boy just got back and we have all this money. Woo. I see what you were saying about it. it's blessing or not a blessing. And he said, well, whether or not it's a blessing, we'll see. A great group of thieves heard about all the gold that was in that village and they attacked the village and slaughtered the people and took the gold and they came to that farmer and they said we see what you're saying we really don't have any idea whether something is good or evil we think we know by how it affects us right that's not always the best judge Solomon says Give me an understanding heart that I might know. Good from evil. What caused the fall of Adam? Well, the, the, the deceit of Satan. But what was the deceit? That you will know what? Good from evil. You won't need God to tell you anymore. You'll be able to tell for yourself. And that's right at the fall of man. That 
that desire. So Solomon says, man, I want an understanding heart. I want to know how, I want to know, can you tell, can you look at somebody's face when, they, when they're talking to you and know they're lying? Yeah. You know how? The Spirit of God. You can't lie to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will bust you on the chops. I watched in a meeting one time how a, a, a guy who was there as a, as a missionary giving a report and it was, a, it was the trippiest thing I ever seen. He's given a report, and as he's given the report, one of the Board of Elders guys says, Wait, wait, wait. You're lying. I think you're stealing all that money, and you're not using it like you just said. And that dude was freaked out. And before the meeting's over, he's confessing that he was taking all that money there's people who didn't know spirit of God revealed it to the pastor and he popped him and ultimately it's a happy ending he repents he's restored things are okay because that's God's goal. That's why God allows those things. He didn't allow it to destroy people. He allows it to tear down the garbage we're getting away with and lift us up and say, do it right. Go right. David asks, or, or Solomon asks, that he would have the ability to have an understanding heart that he might know good from evil. So that, why? So that he would be able to judge the people. So that he would be able to judge the people. Man, it needs to be our prayer. Whatever area of responsibility we may have. Maybe we're not, you know, over any particular ministry. Maybe it's just our family. And we need to be able to discern what's going on with our kids. What's happening? I need to, I need to look in my son's eyes and, and, and hear from God. <laughs> I'd love to tell you that my sons will always tell me the truth. But they lie like rugs and if you think your kids don't lie you really need to seek the Lord sometimes they lie we need to have that wisdom wisdom because man, I want to I be able to raise up my children in the way that they should go and so that being the goal I just love the choice that Solomon makes so this is what he says. This is his response to him. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I might discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. So God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life or riches or the lives of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So, if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days and Solomon 
woke up. Don't miss what God just said to Solomon. I've heard your prayer. I've given what you asked. And I set before you two roads. Walk with me and have long days. Two paths, life, death, over and over again. We see God lay them out. Those same paths are with us today. What path will we walk? What choice will we make? Solomon starts well. Ah, it doesn't end so great. How are you going to end? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves. Amen? Let's seek the Lord. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you and we thank you for the, the truth of your word, God. And we pray that your word, as always, accomplishes what it's sent to accomplish. It convicts our hearts. It, it convicts us of sin, issues in our lives, things that we need to, to face. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, just do that work, God. And, and uh, in each of us, Lord, please don't let us ever treat the word of God like a flashlight. It is a mirror. It speaks to me. It speaks to me. If my initial thought when I look at something says, so-and-so needs to hear this, man, that's, that's my flesh. That in the spirit. The spirit is saying, did you just hear what he said? What are you choosing? Where is your trust? Are you asking for an understanding heart? Are you asking to understand the darkness from the light to discern the spiritual things in your life what needs cut out what needs removed we have the same opportunity Jesus said whatsoever you ask according to my name it will be done for you that's a blank check we have to ask according to his name according to his will according to his plan in submission to the father Lord are we we your people need discernment we need wisdom we need understanding hearts we need to be able to recognize our call we need to be able to recognize the vision that you may give us, the plan that you have for our life. We need to be hand in hand, step for step with you so that we can have experienced the things that you have for us. God, we need that relationship with our Lord and Savior. Lord, we ask that you would just bring us to our knees, Father, in, 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 uh, in our minds, Lord. Just lay out those things that we need to confess, that we need to lay down, that we need to be set free from. And let us go forward and be who you're calling us to be. For Solomon had a kingdom to build. So do we. A kingdom of disciples. A nation of people to be raised up.
giving, going, teaching, baptizing, making disciples everywhere. So the Lord cries from heaven, who will go for us? May the cry of our heart be, here am I, send me. Do your perfect work in and through us, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close out with a word of worship. I invite you guys to worship with us. Afterward, we'll meet you out in the courtyard, and if there's snacks, we'll enjoy them together. If not, we'll have a good time of, of talking and getting to know each other. God bless you guys, and go in peace. Let's please stand. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me needs forgiveness kindness of a savior the hope of nation savior he can move the mountains my God is mighty to save he is mighty to save forever author salvation he rose and he conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave take me as you find me all my fears and failures Fill my life again Give my life to follow Everything I believe in Now I surrender I surrender Savior, He can move the mountain My God is mighty to save Author of salvation, he rose and he conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine a light in, let the whole world see. Singing for the glory of a risen King. Singing for the light in, let the whole world see. He can move the mountains My God is mighty to save He is mighty to save Forever, author 
the whole world seen Singing for the glory of a risen King Jesus, shine a light in, let the whole world see Singing for the glory of a risen King Savior, He can move the mountains He got His mighty to save mighty to save forever author of salvation he rose and he conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave Lord for the glory of you Lord Lord help us like Jackie said Lord that we would have a heart for your people Lord, uh, that we would have a heart for the broken, a heart for the lost. Lord, that we wouldn't turn a blind eye to those that are perishing around us, Lord, that you would just empower us, Lord, to reach out. Lord, give us a heart like you. Lord, go with us as we fellowship, Lord. uh, We need more of your spirit. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.